Welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan and this is the October 5th edition. If you are new to the show, let me say as background that I am a proud moderate and I do my best to keep this show as much in the middle as I possibly can. I have the perfect background to be the person in the middle. I spent four years in the Marine Corps serving in the infantry, and then I followed that up by doing the exact opposite thing that you could possibly do. I learned to carry a pen and notepad and become a reporter, getting a journalism degree and being in the news business for more than 10 years. So I'm pretty much as middle of the road as they come. Each week on the podcast, I do three things. I cover hotspots and defense news happening around the world that could affect the United States. I attempt to unite the country. And finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Thanks again for joining us. I really hope you get something from the show. So before we get into the news today, there are a couple of announcements I need to make. The first one is there will not be a podcast next week. The family and I are going on a vacation, We're going to take a cruise down to the Bahamas. And so I recorded a year ago, the last time I went on a cruise, I did record a podcast, but I had to do the audio by phone and there were waves in the background and it was hard to make sure someone didn't walk up and interrupt me. And I decided, you know what, Stan, I'm not going to all that effort to try to put something out that doesn't even have the best audio quality. So I'm not going to do a podcast next week, but what I will do is probably at least one newsletter, maybe two. So if you're not signed up for news alerts, make sure you do that. Again, it's free to do so. You just go to the Substack notes, put in your email address. That way you'll get any updates if there's any big news that breaks on anything happening in Ukraine or if something were to happen between Iran or China. I would definitely want to put those out. That was the first item. The second thing I wanted to mention was I've done something since last week that probably most of you aren't aware of, but as you guys know, I do have this defense newsletter that's called The View from the Front. I also have a political newsletter that I do, and it's called Thoughts from a Southern Gentleman. And I pretty much cover politics in the way that only Stan would cover something, which is from a moderate perspective, and I kind of call it Lincoln-like political thoughts full of kindness and hope. So I've been doing that for, gosh, I don't know, probably six months or so. But if you haven't signed up for that, you can sign up for that for free as well. I, I push the same themes I push here that we need, that most Americans are good and we need compromise and unity and love, not mockery or extremes. So I do my best not to do that. I mostly keep it between the lines on there. I definitely try to. Although, again, you guys know I do not like extreme left or extreme right, so sometimes i got to rein it in a little bit. But the thing that has happened since last week that I wanted to mention as well is I did launch a third Substack page. And this one's called, this won't be something most of you are interested in, but it might be for just a small percentage, but this is called The Search for God. And this follows, as you guys know, Back in November, I restarted my faith journey, went through the cancer diagnosis with my mom. We unfortunately lost her. But through all of that, 
a lot has been going on with myself personally. I know this won't appeal to most people, but I do have a complicated past with Christianity, was the son of a deacon of a small missionary Baptist church who was wounded pretty badly by the church through some just things that happened. But I do love God. I do love the Bible. I do not like loud evangelicals, so not even really sure where I'm going with this, but I've got that page launched. So if you want to sign up for that, I'll probably put out a post about once a week on there. So I'll put those links in the Substack. If you're wondering, Stan, where's all this going? Like, I feel like you're doing everything. You're writing books, putting out the defense newsletter, you're writing politics, you're writing faith. Like, what's the goal for all this? I don't even really know what the goal for all of it is. I just know I'm a writer. I like to write. I like to build community. And I would love to obviously at some point do all this full time. And I even envision doing a podcast for both of those as well because I do enjoy doing podcasts. I feel like those are more, I don't know, intimate, more like a better way to build a community. So if you want to join either of those, again, it's thoughts for thoughts from a Southern gentleman and the search for God. So I'll put those links in the Substack notes. And do not forget, if you haven't signed up for the view from the front, make sure you do so. I'll probably put at least one email news alert out next week, if not two, depending on how much news happens and how much free time I have. But I pretty much live and breathe this stuff. It's what I enjoy doing. And obviously in my background, I used to own a newspaper for nine years. I've hit weekly deadlines. I never missed you know, thanks be to God, but I never missed a single deadline in nine years. Even with technological issues, power outages, printing press problems. And once you kind of become a news a news person, it's just it kind of gets in your blood and you just like to try to put out content and hear from readers and so I enjoy doing it. So it doesn't even honestly feel like work to me most of the time. Okay, I appreciate your patience with all that. Let's get to the news. We're going to begin with a quick joke because the topic after this is deadly serious and I'll try my best to not get too emotional or angry or any of those things. But let's just start with a joke. We'll ease our way into this. And so this comes from Timothy Snyder has a long pedigree of foreign policy experience. I won't go into all that, but he shared in a speech what is actually a pretty funny joke that involves foreign policy. So I thought I'd share it because it's it's both enlightening, true, and funny. And he says, and I'll kind of summarize this. He says, what the European Union does is it tells a story about how the Europeans fought the Second World War, and then they realized that war was a very bad thing, and therefore they chose peace. And unlike the Americans, they stopped fighting wars. Which is true, right? Is that not what... We, that's the common theme, is that the EU and Europe is all about peace. And then he goes on to say, What happened instead is that Europeans kept fighting wars until they lost them, which admittedly doesn't really work at the beginning of a speech in Brussels. But here's what he describes. He says, The reality is the Germans lost the Second World War, which was a colonial war. The French lost in Southeast Asia, which he's referring to uh, Vietnam in that instance, back in the 50s and early part of the 60s before the U.S. got involved. So the French lose in Southeast Asia. Then the French lost in North Africa. The Portuguese and the Spanish couldn't hold out in Africa any longer, right? And so on and so forth. 
And then, of course, I'm reading what he said here. He says, at which point they then joined together to this European integration process, at which point they started telling the story about how Europeans are very peaceful people, and we've always been very peaceful, and we integrate, and look at us, and then look at the Americans. They're bad, right? That's actually the European national anthem. It's set to a tune by Beethoven, but those are the words. If you don't know German, that's actually what they're singing, okay? So that was the joke. It's actually pretty good. It's kind of dead on, is it not? Does it not feel like sometimes the Europeans, before all this Ukraine stuff happened, they kind of snub their noses at us sometimes, and it's like, oh, you knuckle-dragging Americans. You're all about war, and we are sophisticated here in Europe, and we have better musical taste, and we read, and we're more literate, and on and on and on. But anyway, that's your joke. I wanted to start with a joke, because like I said, this next topic is deadly serious, and we'll get right into that. So, almost every single thing I'm going to share tonight, as far as news that is coming out of Ukraine or Russia, is really good news for the Ukrainians, and really bad news for the Russians. And I was struck by that as I was pulling the show together because everything on the ground, everything in the air, everything in on the sea or in the sea, whatever the right word is for that, is all going well for Ukraine. But unfortunately, the one thing Ukraine can't control is the one thing that is starting to edge toward potential disaster here in America. That thing I'm referring to is an increasing political dysfunction in America and increasing gains by Russian propaganda that's beginning to threaten political support in the U.S. and partly in Europe for Ukraine. So Vladimir Putin has figured out that he can't win on the battlefield, he can't win on the skies, he can't win on the seas, but he can win on places like Twitter. He can win on other social media, and he can begin to pull slowly but surely small percentages of Americans toward the lies that he and his leaders, his military commanders, have been saying. And so, unfortunately, in the past week or so, it's increasingly becoming clear that they are making some gains there. There was a piece in the Washington Post, an analysis piece, which is always when, anytime you see the word analysis piece, it's a long article, but it was about Europe beginning to panic as they watched the near shutdown happen in the House, which was led by the House Republicans. So Europe deployed a large number of diplomats from almost every European country to rally in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, because they were seeing the cracks grow in in America, basically. And so that happened. So the EU sends lots of leaders to Ukraine to say, well, we're going to help pick up the, the weight if necessary. They're already picking up a good chunk of the weight, so don't don't believe the lies that they're not. But the reality is, clearly, a good portion of the Republican House in Congress does not want to 
continue Ukrainian funding. Funding. Also, clearly, there was a CNN poll released where American support is beginning to dip. It's beginning to drop. And this is very worrisome. The good news is President Biden will soon give a large presidential address about this. And I think enough folks who are in favor of supporting additional assistance to Ukraine are starting to recognize this danger and they're going to start pushing back. Because let's be clear, those who have been listening for a year plus, we worried about this in November of last year. We worried about it in December when Russia was hitting electrical substations and they wanted to try to freeze out the Ukrainians when they wanted to try to break the will of the Ukrainian people. They wanted to tire out the West as well during that time. And all of us, all of the analysts who were following the war at that time worried that American support would begin to wane. It didn't. It's amazing, honestly. And probably partly it's because following the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I think more people started paying attention to world affairs, world news. And so it didn't. But it is starting to now. And we have to acknowledge the fact that it is beginning to dip. That's the absolute reality. I wish it wasn't true. I hope that with more political engagement, more information getting out there, more success from Ukraine that it will begin to at least stabilize, if not pick up. But I don't want to not call the the not call it like it is. It has dipped a bit. But this is just a frustrating situation for me. Because I mean let's be very clear. Before all of this happened a year plus ago, Russia was on the march. It was expanding its influence. It was sending troops to Syria to help a ruthless dictator. It was sending troops to Africa, which it still is, but not quite to the same level. It obviously had territorial ambitions in Ukraine. Obviously, Russia was collaborating with Belarus, with China, North Korea, Iran. It was partnering with Armenia. And the greatest thing as a for the international order in the past two years, probably in the past ten years, has been what the world has done in Ukraine. The world saw a large country ignore international rules and laws and borders and invade a fellow country just for pure reasons of ambition, because they could, because they thought the whole world would let them do it as the world did allow them to do back in 2014. This is obviously the third time they've invaded Ukraine and the largest, but they've done it twice before. They thought it would happen again. But finally, because the world had seen that Vladimir Putin was not interested in any kind of peace or diplomacy, going all the way back to Obama with the red, that was easy button when Hillary Clinton went over there. The West has tried to treat Vladimir Putin as an equal or as someone who's interested in the common good. We even held an Olympics over there. But Vladimir Putin has shown that his, at his core, he has territorial ambitions. And the world saw it and the world was done with it. And the world said, no more. 
It was an inspiring story. It is an inspiring story. All of these European countries coming together in America to fund a literal democracy that's on the border of Russia, which is one of the greatest threats to Vladimir Putin. He doesn't want to see a country doing so well. He doesn't want to see a country where people can elect their leaders. That is a huge threat to him. And so he did what Vladimir Putin does. He invaded a country. He's invaded multiple countries since he has assumed power. I won't blame him for the first Russian-Chechen war since that was in 1994 to 1996 and since Vladimir Putin did not take power until 1999. But I will blame him for the much bloodier and uglier second Russian-Chechen war which, oh, by the way, ran from 1999 to 2009. I will blame him also for the Russian-Georgian War that began in 2008. It was a much shorter, smaller deal, but it was intimidating a country that was a, that used to be within Russia's power and its sphere of influence. So he had to go knock them around a little bit. That was in 2008, before he'd even finished the Russian-Chechen War, by the way. Then in 2015, you've got the Russian assistance in Syria helping a brutal dictator. That was 2015, a year after an invasion into the Crimean Peninsula and East Donbass in Ukraine. That was in 2014. And then last year, 2022, he goes all in for a major invasion in Ukraine to try to take the capital, to try to take the entire country. Ukraine is a country of 40 million people. It's the size of Texas. And Vladimir Putin thought he could just go down and take it. That's what he thought he could do. He thought he could take it in three days. He tried his best to take it in three days, but the world responded. You know, a lot of people fixate on this is about Ukraine. But honestly, it's about Vladimir Putin. This isn't about Ukraine. This is about Vladimir Putin. And honestly, it's not even about just Vladimir Putin. It's about China. We cannot allow Russia to succeed in Ukraine. If we do that, we embolden China. That's the flat-out reality. You can save millions of lives in the next couple of decades by reminding countries that have territorial ambitions that the world will not allow countries to invade other countries out of nothing more than pure greed and ambition. That we will not be allowed. We cannot allow that. Now you will hear some people say, oh, we're spending too much in Ukraine. We have spent $112 billion in Ukraine. $112 billion. As I said last week, we spent $2 trillion dollars in Afghanistan, two trillion with a T, three hundred million a day. We had US troops there. We literally spilled blood there. There are no US troops in Ukraine. We are for pennies on a on the dollar destroying the Russian military. Of that hundred and twelve billion, eighty one billion has been military aid. What has that eighty one billion been? Older American equipment. Half of this stuff we were going to destroy anyway. Literally, M1 tanks in the Marine Corps 
the Marine Corps says we don't even need those tanks anymore. We can't use them in the Pacific. We don't need them. We were going to literally scrap this stuff. The high Mars rocket systems, older technology. F-16s, way older technology. We're talking 50 plus years old. 81 billion was military aid. 32 billion economic aid. 18 billion humanitarian aid. And then 5 billion under other. 112 billion. I'll put a link in the Substack notes. So if you want to go look at it by categories, there's been four spending bills. The White House is asking for 24 billion more, but that is at risk because there are Republicans who are worried about this cost. There are Republicans who say we need to do this or we need to do that. And again, some of this is propaganda coming straight from Russia that is just being eaten alive. And it's, I'm not even going to address some of it because it's so vile. It's so false. It's not even worth countering. But again, I said I was going to go on, on a little bit of a rant. I don't want to get too out of control on this stuff, but this is important. We literally are being watched on how we handle this. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm speaking for more than myself. I'm speaking for a lot of veterans when we literally cannot again show weakness in America. We cannot do like we did in Afghanistan. We cannot do like we did to the Kurds in northern Syria. These are I'm not attacking just Biden. I'm not attacking just Trump. Trump was the one who sold out the Kurds. Biden was the one who pulled out of Afghanistan. He was following a plan that was started forward by Trump, but he could have changed it. We cannot show weakness or China will see this weakness and they're going to invade an island of 40 million people in Taiwan as well. Not to mention threaten the Philippines, Vietnam, other countries in that area. People are watching what we do. The United States, when it's at its best, is a leader. It is a country that leads. When we withdraw Chaos follows, international rules start to break down, and just unbelievably high loss of life usually follows. You can study our history. I have. I used to be one of those guys. I was super conservative at one point, and it, you know, almost of the libertarian bent, and I would say, oh, we can't afford to be the world's policeman, and we're getting involved here, or we're getting involved there. Every time we pull back, every time, either chaos follows or terrorism, such as Al-Qaeda, they start to just pick at you. And it's it almost always follows us home. We are being watched on how we handle this. And it is important that we do not leave the Ukrainians hanging. Now, you'll see some people say, oh, if we... If we pull our funding, Ukraine is doomed. I actually don't think they're doomed. I think Ukraine is such a strong country. Their spirit is so strong. They want this freedom so bad. I think Europe will help step up. I think Ukraine would find a way to win on their own. But we, by leaving them high and dry, would increase the number of casualties. We would increase the length of the war. 
and we would embolden China. And we don't want to do any of those three things, especially for literally pennies on the dollar with older equipment. This is not the time to falter. It's not the time to look weak. We have to follow through. That's the bottom line. We have to follow through. So that was the bad news. Thankfully, I didn't go too much into all of the war crimes, the taking of kids, all of the brutal murders, the rapes, all that stuff. I didn't want to get too emotional, too angry, etc. So thanks for letting me get that out. But we got to stand fast. But with that bit of bad news out of the way, let me just share just all the incredible stuff that has happened. since, Even just in the past week, we're talking the last seven days, the number of incredible things that have tilted in Ukraine's direction. I'm just going to try to work through them as fairly quickly as I can. The first thing involves the counteroffensive that Ukraine has launched. They again in the past week continue to expand both of the two gaps that they've created in the Russian lines in the southern part of Ukraine in the area of Zaporizhia. I've got the latest maps inside the substack notes that you can take a look at but they have made decent gains in both of those gaps and the most amazing part of that is they've obviously broken through some of the best part of the Russian defenses and Russia is trying to plug those holes with reinforcements to no avail and it's not going to get any easier for the Russians because at this point they're using reserve forces and the Russians are having to fight without the advantage of those really well-constructed positions that they had been holding back the Ukrainians from. So another week of advances for Ukraine. Let's just end that one as point one. And again, you can see those maps in the Substack notes. The next story I wanted to make sure we hit is that Russia is getting a taste of its own medicine as Ukraine is starting to launch small drone attacks on Russian electrical substations that are inside Russia. Now, again, as a reminder, Russia has, I'm sorry, Ukraine has told the United States and Europe it will not use weapons, long-range weapons that are provided from the United States or Europe on as a part of attacks inside Russia. But Ukraine is using smaller drones to do that very thing that Ukraine itself is producing. So they are using small drones And they are beginning to attack not just Russian airfields, as we've discussed in previous episodes. They're starting to hit Russian electrical substations. They are literally going to give Russia a taste of its own medicine. In fact, in the past week, they actually hit a substation in the Kursk region. This is a part of Russia that's just to the north of Ukraine. And a lot of these areas are largely unguarded because Russia has committed the bulk of its forces inside Ukraine to occupy Ukraine, to try to defend these ferocious attacks that Ukraine is launching as they try to regain their territory. So Russia has deployed most of its forces inside Ukraine. They have minimal defenses inside Russia, which is why, of course, that Prigozhin and Wagner was able to almost make it to Moscow. There are very few forces inside Russia. And I think Vladimir Putin is starting to realize this could be a problem. This attack on the substation was the third one. 
it knocked out power for 5,000 people for quite a few hours before they got it resolved. But the problem with substations that Russia's going to learn the hard way is the same problem that Ukraine had last year in the winter season when Russia was trying to knock out those substations. You can't just go buy transformers in these substations. There aren't a lot of them in the world. You can look at any city in America or wherever you live in Europe. Drive around. There are substations everywhere. It's very hard to defend them, which is why air defense for Ukraine was crucial. And Ukraine has spent the past year getting better and better at air defense all around its capital, also around its cities, because they know how vulnerable these substations are. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that when you bomb, even with small grenades, one of these substations, this is electrical stuff. It explodes. It burns. Electricity, I mean, this is just like combustible material. It's not hard to destroy this stuff. So this is the third, at least third, but in the article I saw, this is at least the third time that Ukraine has targeted and knocked out a Russian electrical substation. And my gut tells me it'll be the start of many more. Now, I will say... In the article, Ukraine makes clear that they are attacking substations that are near manufacturing facilities. So they are trying to deplete Russian production. That's what their goal is. And in this case, the military spokesperson for Ukraine described precisely where the Russian military factory near this one was, what the goal was, etc. So... Unlike Russia, whose only goal was to knock out substations and punish Ukrainian people, which, by the way, is a war crime in Ukraine's situation, they are trying to be selective. The next story I wanted to make sure I definitely highlighted is that Ukrainian forces are increasingly conducting raids in Russian-occupied Crimea almost every day or two you will see video that is released by Ukraine itself of ways that they are using forces to attack the Crimean Peninsula. They're obviously going by water around the Russian land forces that are blocking them on the peninsula. They're literally just going by water around those defenses, and they're conducting increasingly large raids inside the Crimean Peninsula. Now, the reason that's important, obviously, is because much of this coastland, coastline, apologies, is unguarded, undefended areas. This is places where Russian tourists think they can just go and have a good time after they cross the Kerch Bridge. Increasingly, Ukraine is showing them, you can't. This is Ukrainian land, and you must guard it. I'm not sure Russia has the forces to guard it, which is why these raids continue to grow in size it's it's pretty amazing you you can see some of the videos on social media the number of troops involved in these raids and it just seems like the ukrainian forces are getting more and more confident in their ability to launch these raids at night send troops up on land they have photos you can find on social media they'll go in and burn places down they um, are attacking warehouses and, and basically easy targets because this is the soft underbelly of Russia 
forces. They These are logistics troops in the rear. These are people who never thought they'd actually have to fight, who suddenly, in the middle of the night, are having to deal with Ukrainian commandos. Basically, their form of Navy SEALs. These are really, really well-trained dudes. I would not want to be going up against them. And increasingly, they are bringing some devastation to Russian forces inside the Crimean Peninsula. So that's definitely wanted to make sure I highlighted that. You can see lots of video of this stuff on social media. Take some time to research it. I think you'll be blown away with what Ukraine is pulling off on some of these raids. While we are talking about raids, I've got a video in the Substack notes where a Ukrainian special operations team, which is deep behind Russian lines. Now, one of the, and I probably should have mentioned this, but one of the advantages of the breakthroughs is it's increasingly, and I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it yet, but there are Ukrainian forces that are operating behind Russian lines. And so in this video, a Ukrainian special operations team finds Russian reinforcements 20 miles behind the front line. So this unit is 20 miles behind the front lines. They're hidden in some trees. These are mostly Russian BMPs. These are infantry fighting, fighting vehicles. And so the Ukrainians find them. They launch a very small drone so that it can, by using obviously video and the camera on the drone, they can pick out these tanks, these Russian infantry fighting vehicles inside the trees, which they're decently camouflaged, honestly, especially to be 20 miles behind the line. And then they call in indirect fire. It is just something to see. The accuracy, I'm not sure if these, these I'd say it probably was high Mars, multiple launch rocket system rockets, but a video worth watching for sure. Destroyed at least five BMP vehicles, two supply trucks, absolutely just crammed with ammunition. The explosions are in themselves almost worth watching. It's probably one of the bigger cook-off post-explosions you'll see. The amount of ammunition that just keeps firing and blowing up and firing and blowing up. But again, this unit, 20 miles from the front line, catches some reserve reinforcements that had probably stopped for a break. And that unit is just completely devastated before they even got to the front line, before they even had a chance to fire a weapon in anger toward Ukrainian troops. So that was a big win for Ukraine, for sure. Like I said, if you get a couple minutes to watch the video, worth your time. Alright, so I've got three more really big stories that I want to share about Ukraine, but I need to throw in this quick ad first. Then we'll cover those three stories, and then we'll get to the motivation and wisdom section. Appreciate you guys hanging with me today. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber for $5 per month, you can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. Again, you can help support the show for only $5 per month. Come and go as you wish. You can find all the details on my Substack page. That's stanormitchell.substack.com. Again, stanormitchell.substack.com. Or just find it in the episode notes. 
Thanks so much, guys. Okay, the first of the last three positive stories is this. Greece is saying it's willing to help transport grain from Ukraine using two of its ports. Of course, getting out that grain is one of the most important things for both Ukraine and for a lot of countries that are struggling financially. Ukraine produces a ton of grain for the world. And as Russia has tried to halt that transportation of grain, many countries have been trying to find ways around it. Obviously, Russia's navy is nothing like it was, but as another alternative, and this is the first time it's been offered, Greece is saying it is willing to help transport grain from Ukraine using two of its ports. They would take the grain from train through the Baltics to Greece, and then they would use those ports to transport the grain. So that's good news for Ukraine, and it's good news for the world. The second story is so big that I arguably could have moved it way forward, but Russia has relocated the bulk of its Black Sea fleet from the occupied Crimean Peninsula to Russia itself. They have literally moved these ships 300 miles east all the way to Russian occupied or I'm sorry, Russian territory, a rush away from Russian occupied Crimean Peninsula. Now this is almost impossible to put into words how big a deal this is because half of the reason that Russia even invaded Ukraine back in t- period, but especially back in 2014, was to take this very important naval port in Crimea. That naval port is a place you may have heard of before. It's called Sevastopol. Ukraine has been trying to attack some of those Russian ships inside that port as they've pushed back the Russian Navy and sunk some of its ships. And they, as you recall from last week's podcast, they had that missile strike, which probably took out the Admiral of the Black Sea Fleet and a lot of other major officers. And so I guess Russia has decided it's not safe in that port anymore. So they have relocated the bulk, the majority of their fleet away from Sevastopol 300 miles further east to actual Russian territory. That's a big deal. One, it shows that Russia can't even control the area around the Crimean Peninsula. In previous episodes, we talked about how the fleet was rarely even leaving the port. But worse than even that, at least from the Russian perspective, is that they would fire missiles from inside these ships, from inside that port, to strike Ukrainian cities. So they were using some of these ships as launching pads to fire missiles into Ukraine. Well, now they've moved these ships 300 miles away. So that's not going to help their ballistic missile attacks against Ukraine. So this is a big win, especially for a country that doesn't even have a navy. Ukraine has driven out the Russian navy with nothing but sea drones and just some bold attacks, ingenuitive type attacks, and some land-based Sea Sparrow missiles 
that were on the coast. But what they've done is just impressive, and it's not a good day if you're a Russian admiral. The third and final story I wanted to make sure we got in was a story in the BBC. And it really makes you start to wonder, how big of a problem does Vladimir Putin have with his police forces? Because it sure seems like he has a serious and growing problem. The BBC report, I'll make sure I put the link in the Substack notes, talks about how underpaid the police forces are, but increasingly, not not only are they underpaid, and I mean so underpaid that mid-level officers are paid less than couriers, so you could deliver the mail for less than you could wear a badge, but they're underpaid, but they're also not fans of having to arrest people who have spoken out against the war, which you can't even call it a war in Russia, but the special military operation that's happening in Ukraine. And so this story goes into just, it's really a little shocking. There's how little they're paid, how demoralized they are, and how short of staff they are. So the police forces aren't answering some calls. Again, there's corruption, poor wages, stress because of these I mean, imagine if you had to arrest people who lived in your neighborhood or maybe even someone you knew because they had spoken out against the war and you know they're being railroaded for a 10-year sentence because all they did was speak out against the special military operation. I mean, who wants to wear a badge and do that? So this is one of those stories to kind of keep an eye on because if you're a dictator like Vladimir Putin and you can't trust your police force. I mean, he already can't trust his military to some degree. They didn't do the best job bailing him out against Wagner and Prigozhin during that coup attempt, but probably something that Putin is beginning to worry about a little bit, and they've got all kinds of budget issues, so it's not like they can just up the pay. Interestingly, the story talks about that Russia has one of the largest police forces in the world, Over 900,000 officers, which is more than double the per capita that the U.S. or the U.K. has. So obviously if you run a police state, you have to have a very large police force. So it's going to be hard for him to decide, even if he decides to, to pay them more because there's so many of them. So many. Just... 630 officers per 100,000 people, or almost a million for a population of 146 million. It's a lot of people to pay, and they are way underpaid right now. So, another problem for Vladimir Putin. He has a bunch of problems right now. Take a look at the link if you get a couple minutes. So, we've covered a lot of news. Let's get to the best part of the show. This is the Wisdom and Motivation section. This is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these each week because I think we can all benefit from a weekly pep talk. I mean, seriously. All most of us here, all day, every day, is negative stuff. Let's flip that switch. Here is the first one. This is a quote from Napoleon Hill. He's obviously a famous motivational speaker. Wrote a bunch of books from the early 1900s. That Many of them are really good, actually. A little dated, but they're good books. The quote is, 
If you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. Again, if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. Next one. Make sure you read something every day that inspires you. That's a good one. Make sure you read something every day that inspires you. Next one. Don't rush. Great things take time. Again, don't rush. Great things take time. Next one. Just like a computer, your mind slows down when it has too many tabs open. Again, just like a computer, your mind slows down when it has too many tabs open. Next one. I will never, ever give up. Again, I will never, ever give up. Just a little determination in that one, isn't there? Next one. If it drains you, it's not for you. Always remember that. Again, if it drains you, it's not for you. Always remember that. That's a really good one. If you're trying to figure out what your dream is in life. I know with writing, podcasting, some of the things I'm doing on the side, the day job drains me, the stuff I want to do. I would do it half the night for free. In fact, on Saturday, I was doing some writing for one of my Substacks, and uh, the wife left to run some errands, came back like three hours later, and I was still standing at my computer, and she's like, what all you get done? And I, I didn't even realize three hours had passed. So that's when you know you're in the zone. That's when you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. So again, if it drains you, it's not for you. Always remember that. Next one. If you can dream it, you can do it. Again, if you can dream it, you can do it. It's a good one. Next one. Don't wish for it. Work for it. Again, don't wish for it. Work for it. This next one is just one of those like old-fashioned ones that's so dadgone dead on that just it's kind of witty and good one. It's from Thomas Edison, but the quote is, Opportunity is missed by most people because it, because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> is that a good one or not? Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Man, that's good. Next one. Focus on issues you can control, not on those you can't. Again, focus on issues you can control, not on those you can't. Next one. Remember that you can touch so many lives by simply being in joy. It's a good one. Remember that you can touch so many lives by simply being in joy. We all need to be happier, don't we? Next one. Normal, normalize randomly calling up your friends on the phone just to say hi. <laughs> so few people do that. Again, normalize randomly calling up your friends on the phone just to say hi. And also, this is my pro tip. If I call you and I need something, I just say it immediately. I, I can't stand when people ask you how you're doing, blah, 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 and then they finally get to the request. If you're calling someone with a request, just say, hey, man, I'm not... I'm not really calling to check on your email, so I need this because there's at that point you've either put in the deposits into that emotional friend account or you haven't. 
And it's too late at that point to try to act like you care about them. You need something, just tell them you need something. Alright, let's go to the next one. Why worry? If you've done the very best you can, worrying won't make it any better. That's a quote from Walt Disney. Again, why worry? If you've done the very best you can, worrying won't make it any better. Next one. Don't give up on the person you are becoming. Again, don't give up on the person you are becoming. Next one. Have big dreams, big hopes for the future. Dream as big as you can, and then some more. Again, have big dreams, big hopes for the future. Dream as big as you can, and then some more. Next one. No failure is permanent. As long as you are alive, you can do it. Never give up. Next one. Life gets easier when you stop trying to find yourself and start creating yourself. Oh, that is so deep. Again, life gets easier when you stop trying to find yourself and start creating yourself. I think a lot of us look in the past a little too much sometimes. Stop digging. Just let it let it go. Even the Bible, there are so many stories about not looking back. We we really like to dig in our past way too much, and I am super guilty of that. And I have a great wife, and she helps me remember. Just let it go. Keep moving. All right, next one. Smile. The universe has heard you. It's coming to get you. Again, smile. The universe has heard you. It's coming to get you. Next one. Prioritize your future over checking your phone every 30 seconds. Oof. That hits some people, doesn't it? Prioritize your future over checking your phone every 30 seconds. Next one. If I fall, I will rise up with wisdom and strength. Again, if I fall, I will rise up with wisdom and strength. Next one. The expert in anything was once a beginner. Another good one. Again, the expert in anything was once a beginner. Next one. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. That is so good. Again, start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. You know, I share this lesson in the leadership book that I wrote about President Obama where I talk about my own personal experience with my business and how I borrowed 20000 and I quit my job and then we had to borrow more. So we borrowed another 20000 then we ran up vendor debt of 40000 then we brought on investors of 55 k and we just kept digging to get the liftoff we needed. But in hindsight, I no longer believe in that whole like jump in the net will appear or jump in the deep end. Like this quote is just so dead on. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And as I've told people and I mentioned in the book, I could have started that newspaper online on the side. If you had said, Stan, you're not allowed to write that business plan. You're not allowed to present it to a bank. You're not allowed to borrow or bring on investors or any of that. You're trying to speed things up. How can you do it with what you have? I would have come up with a way to do it. And I would have probably started, I would have had to quit my newspaper job, but I could have got a a job in any other field. I could have worked a regular day job. And then I could have started posting articles. I could have started selling ads. I could have basically cash cash flowed the entire thing from the beginning without any debt, would have been a lot less stress on my family, on my friends, would have been a lot less painful for me. 
but we are all too impatient. And when you are impatient, you are going to look for shortcuts. And in most things in life, there are no shortcuts. We all think there are, but there's no shortcuts. It's going to be hard, but just start with what you have. That is the real secret in being patient. We just don't want to be that way, though, do we? All right, so let's do three from the Bible before we wrap this up. First one is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. This is kind of what we were talking about earlier. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what ha- to what lies ahead. Again, that was from Philippians chapter 3. Now here's one from Mark chapter 9 verse 23. Anything is possible if a person believes. Again, anything is possible if a person believes. And then finally, we'll do one from John chapter 14 verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Again, that one is peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a good one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. So many men and women have sacrificed, fought, and died to keep this country together the past 240 years. Please work daily to unite our country again. The vast majority of Americans are decent, loving, great people. Also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. For those who are listening for the first time, let me say a bit more about myself and the podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 12 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think that much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians, seeking their own personal gain, try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. 
We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So let's get a little better informed, and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about, and I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in, that it affects what they believe, that it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as kindness, patience, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience and for listening. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool message that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid, to something we can build a foundation from, and that's what I'm offering. Now, we're almost to the end of the show, and I'd be a fool not to mention my books. I write fast-paced books, and when I say fast-paced, I mean like really fast-paced books. And if you read the reviews, people say they are gripping, compelling, and full of twists and turns. I've written a dozen books to date, and I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies. And guys, these are independently published. There isn't some big company pushing these. These are straight-up word-of-mouth sales. So if you're one of those who've bought a, a book or more than one book, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you're one of those folks who've just shared links or told others about me, it's a great way to support the show. All of my books can be found on Amazon, and they are primarily about military thrillers. I've got a series about a Marine Corps sniper. I've got some police detective ones, but you can find all of them on Amazon just by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R. You will find them no problem. You will see they all have averages of more than four, uh, four plus stars and thousands of reviews on them. So they're great gifts. They're also great for yourself if you're interested in them. So thanks so much, guys, for sticking it out with me. I hope you got something from the show, and I look forward to seeing you guys here same time, same place next Thursday.